Let's uh, bow together. Father, we do uh, thank you that you are gracious and you are merciful and you are loving and kind. And you have revealed that and demonstrated that in having sent your son, your only son, to, to die for us. And we thank you that he willingly came and bore our sins in his body on the cross. And Father, we thank you that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of your Son. And I pray that's what would happen today. I pray as we worship you, as your word comes forth, that uh, you would work in our hearts, that the soil would be prepared and ready to receive your word, uh, to allow by your spirit uh, your word to do its work in our hearts, that uh, we might uh, become more like your Son. Lord, we ask you to bless your word as it goes out. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, Scripture is clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person, everyone's sinned. We've all fallen short. And it's clear that sin affects everyone. It affects every relationship. Now, certainly sin separates us from God, and it is only through Christ that we are, that we are brought into a relationship with the Lord But sin affects every relationship. It affects our friendships, work, uh, family, whatever it might be, and especially sin affects our marriages. Now, with every difficulty, every relational difficulty, the world has its answers. For the world, the the answers to difficulties in marriage might be drugs or alcohol or through psychological counseling or through divorce even. The world has its solution to problems that come about from sin. But for believers, uh, it's different. It's different. We have everything pertaining to life and godliness uh, in the, through the true knowledge of Him, through His precious and magnificent promises. And yet, unfortunately, there are times within the church that we can get led astray concerning the things we need to hear in relationship to things like marriage. And we need to go back to the reality of what God has shared in His Word that we might understand rightly our actions and our reactions, and ultimately what God desires for the relationship. You know, last week we saw what believing wives are to do, and today we're going to see what believing husbands are to do. And more specifically, we're going to see how to let Christ direct how you regard your wife and live with her. Now, if some of you are saying, well, I'm not married here. Actually, this is, uh, has nothing to do with me. Well, it, it doesn't primarily have anything to do with you, but secondarily it does. Uh, you see, first of all, uh, God has given the gift of some, of singleness. There's no doubt about that. We see that in 1 Corinthians 7. The Apostle Paul apparently had that gift to devote time completely to the Lord. Uh, but otherwise, if you haven't had that gift, God's possibly going to bring about uh, marriage. Whatever age, the Lord is probably going to do that. And you need to be aware of what God calls for concerning the marriage relationship. But secondarily, within this, the same principles that apply to husbands and wives, as we will see, apply to each and every one of us in our walk with Jesus Christ. The same principles of relying on Christ, to, depending on him, allowing his word to, uh, to, uh, to address our thinking applies to us. So don't just sit back and not uh, not uh, listen. And then also, too, as I mentioned for last week, as I mentioned for the wives, husbands, as you heard that, I, I shared, don't be pointing your finger at your wife when you hear those scriptures. We need to address our own hearts. We should never come to church and listen to a sermon and be thinking about how it applies to everyone else. 
We should be thinking about how it applies to us, to us. And the same exhortation I have today for wives, don't be sitting here the whole time going, my husband doesn't do this or that. Pray, Lord, I pray that your word works in his heart and it works in my heart, that I would see myself rightly, that I would obey you and trust you. We need to trust the Lord to work through his word. So that's my exhortation as we begin. Now, briefly, for the context of First Peter, I'd like you to turn there to First Peter chapter 2, or excuse me, 3. And we're going to be looking at verse 7 today. And as I share the context of First Peter, remember that Peter is writing believers in Asia Minor. It's about 64 AD, and they are suffering. They are suffering, and uh, they're about to suffer a, a, a very fiery ordeal at the hand of Nero within a couple months. And Peter has relayed to them that they are chosen sojourners. They are temporary residents on this earth. That we are those who are, who are temporarily residing here. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. The Lord is preparing a place for us. We're temporary residents. But yet within this temporary residence, residency, we need to understand and see things rightly. And there is going to be suffering at times. Peter has shared the tremendous salvation that we have in Jesus Christ that we've been blessed, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This tremendous salvation with its eternal implications and that we should respond rightly and fix our hope completely on Christ and, and be holy because He's holy. Trust in Him, allow His holiness to come forth and fear the Lord because of the great price that was paid and, and love the body of Christ because we've been born again unto that. And then as we saw in the beginning of chapter 2, yearn for the word of God that we might grow in respect to salvation. And then after that point in chapter 2, if you're a true believer, if you've tasted the kindness of the Lord, Peter shares the wonderful reality of what he is doing, even in the midst of trials. He is building up the church through Christ. He is building us up as a holy temple. We are those priests to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable we are a distinct people. We're a holy people. We are a people for God's own possession that we might proclaim his excellencies, the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then in the middle of chapter 2, we came to really the application section of our great salvation. So how are we to respond in the midst of a, of a world that we are temporarily residing, a world which is filled with those who, who could care less about Christ, a world that is filled with sin? How are, how are we to respond in that? And we saw, first of all, the application, chapter 2, verse 11, that we as aliens and residents of this earth were to stay away from fleshly lusts which wage war with our souls. If you're a believer, those desires that are merely of your flesh and not of God, God's will, they wage a battle in your soul when we yield to those things. We're to stay away from that. And this is foundational for the rest of the book and how we respond. And we are to keep our behavior excellent among Gentiles or non-believers. So that in the very thing that those who don't know Christ slander us, as they observe our good deeds, they might glorify God in the day of visitation. The day that he visits them with the gospel. They might glorify him. We see that. And then we saw that within that we are to submit to the governing authorities. We're to allow God's order to, to, to be understood in our hearts and to submit to that. And then God might even use those circumstances to bring about those redemptive opportunities. We saw also concerning slaves and masters. It, it, it relates to the work relationship. Again, submitting even to the ones that are harsh. 
For what credit is there if we sin and we endure it, right? But if we, if we do what is right and we suffer for it, this finds favor with God. And then we saw very specifically that we have been called as believers for this purpose. Since Christ suffered for us also, we are to trace in his footsteps. And we looked at the footsteps of Christ and how he responded to suffering. He didn't uh, sin. He didn't respond back. He didn't revile and return. He uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself or giving himself over to the one who judges righteously. And from that, God, through his predetermined plan, brought about our salvation. He bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to God. Because we were straying like sheep. We were all straying. But we have turned to return to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. And then we came last week to commands for uh, wives. And in this portion, we saw what believing wives are to do. We saw in chapter 3, verse 1, that in the same way, or likewise, well, in the same way as what? Same way as Christ relied on the Father. He depended on Him. He did His will, even unto death. And He suffered, and God brought about redemption. In the same way, wives, you are to subject yourself to the order that God has placed in the marriage relationship. And we looked at that, and we'll review that a little bit, but you can listen to the, to the message from last week. So with that in mind, uh, we saw that wives are to certainly be submitting, subjecting themselves voluntarily to their husbands, even to unbelievers that are, that are disobedient to the word, that they might be won without a word by the behavior, the Christ-like behavior of their wives, where there is a purity and not, no sin in that context and a respect. And we see... And then we saw that wives are to be internally adorning their hearts. It's not an external, I'm going to do it. It's an adorning of a heart with a right relationship with Christ. It is having that gentle, that meek and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of the Lord. Only God can do that through Christ. And you need to adorn, beautify yourself as you would beautify yourself externally. Beautify your hearts before the Lord as the holy women of old did so, who hoped in God and yet didn't fear. They didn't fear the consequences of what will happen if I obey God and do this. They feared God. And you have become her children, Sarah's children, if you do what is right without any fear. And that moves us to the portion where we're going to see our passage concerning husbands. And again, I want to encourage all of us to pay attention, but especially wives, don't be pointing your fingers at your husband. Let God work through his word in their hearts and say, what, Lord, do you want to teach me here out of this? And the same thing as I shared for, for the husbands last week. With that in mind, First Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to read the portion for wise first, and then it'll go right into our verse 7, which we're going to look at today. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. We saw the same way was like Christ was, right? Uh, to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to her, even if you got a non-believing husband, that they might be won without a word by the behavior or the conduct of their wives. As they, speaking of the husbands, observe, they look at, they, they see your chaste, uh, your chaste, which is a uh, pure and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment be merely external, braiding of hair and wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses. Hey, not just the outside, ladies, he says. But he says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. This is the key. It's a heart attitude. Like Christ from the heart obeyed the Father, submitting himself, God in human flesh. In the same way, women, give your heart over. Trust the Lord. Obey him. He says, he says uh, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle or meek 
and quiet or tranquil spirit, trusting the Lord no matter what, uh, which is precious. It's valuable in the sight of God. For in this way, this way, submitting with a right heart, he says, in, the, in former times, holy women, these are women who knew the Lord. These are, these are believers uh, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, beautify themselves, uh, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened with any fear. Tremendous passage. And then the next portion. You husbands likewise, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. These commands are to believers, and if you're sitting here today and you don't know the Lord, you're going to hear these things and you're going to say, how in the world can I do these things? This is impossible, and it is impossible. It's impossible apart from a relationship with Christ, and he enables us to rely on him, and then his character is manifest as we obey his word. So here we have our passage, two husbands here. He says, you husbands likewise, likewise, Live with your wives in an understanding way as a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, and grant her honor as the fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, in this verse 7, I believe we're going to see two specific things within a purpose clause. Two specific things that husbands are to do. One, they are to dwell with their wives in a specific way. And secondly, they're to be continually granting them honor as a fellow of the grace of life. And third, ultimately, because if you don't, it is an evidence something is severely wrong with your relationship with God and your prayers are completely blocked. So with this in mind, let's take a look at the passage. So what are husbands to do? And again, this applies directly to husbands, but there are principles that apply to each and every one of us and we need to understand God's word. What are they to do? First of all, we are to be living with our wives according to, as we will see, biblical knowledge. We need to allow God to direct our hearts in regards to our behavior and thinking towards our wives based on his word. Again, notice we see here, you husbands, likewise. We're going to look at that in a minute. Likewise, that's important. And here's the command, literally be living with your wives in an understanding way. And then there's another command Middle of the verse, and be granting them. That's really the, the tense here. Husbands are to be continually, habitually living or, or dwelling with their wives. And secondly, they're to be granting them, as we will see, honor in a minute. These speak of continual action. And so with that in mind, let's uh, look at the first command here. You husbands, likewise... Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. Now, here we see that husbands are to continually, habitually, as we will see, dwell with their wives. And notice that term, likewise. It's, it's actually the exact same term that was in verse 1, translated in the same way. In the same way, women... You are to be submissive, adorning your heart. In the same way, you husbands are to be dwelling with your wives according to knowledge and granting honor. And what was that way? We'll look at it more in a minute. But it was referring to the manner in chapter 2 in which Christ yielded himself to the Father's will. 
He yielded himself to the Father's will. He suffered, and yet he obeyed. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. And in that, God brought about his will. In the same way you wives obey the Lord and do what he says, and with the right heart, entrusting yourself to him, in the same way husbands obey the Lord. You need to submit to your master in heaven and obey the Lord, doing what is right, entrusting yourself to the one who judges righteously. That's really the key foundational element. So with this in mind, let's take a look at this first command. It says, live with. It literally means to dwell with. To dwell with. And it speaks of an ongoing reality. It means to live together. Husbands and wives are commanded by God to be living together. But the command is on the husband. He is the one who is sovereign over the relationship in terms of order, not not personhood. It says... Live with your wives. Be dwelling with them. Now, this is where I have a great problem at times, where people have all kinds of excuses why they're not with their wives. There are some ministers and, and even some uh, missionaries who separate from their families to do the work of ministry. I'm sorry. God doesn't have you do ministry when you're disobeying another passage in Scripture. It says, dwell with your wives. The same thing, you know, someone who's working away from the home for you know months and years or whatever it is. Now, I'm not talking about a specific season where someone has a job to go do for a couple of weeks or whatever that is. I'm talking about the reality of where do you dwell each day? Where do you dwell? Where do you live, husbands? Live with your wives. It, it just it's, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. If there's anything separating then it's against God's word we see. And obviously, he who separates himself seeks his own desire. And again, there are little anomalies here and there that are not characteristic of our relationships, but we are to dwell with our wives. If we're not doing this, forget the rest of the passage. Your prayers are hindered. Your relationship with God is blocked. You can pray all you want. You can think you're following the Lord. You can do all sorts of ministry. Forget it. Dwell, live with your wives. Live with. It's, it's so obvious. It's so obvious. Just like someone who claims to be a believer and says, I love the body of Christ and never is around church. How can that be? Same thing. We are to dwell with our wives. Um, with this in mind, we're to be dwelling with. And there's also commentators, and I agree that this takes on the connotation also in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, that, that sexual connotation also, we are to be with our wives, as we will see. We are to live together. There is to be a union and a unity. You can read that on your own time. So first of all, we have the basic command that's obvious. Husbands, be dwelling with your wives. Now, there's going to be qualifications with that. We're to be dwelling, but there's going to be qualifications. Now, certainly sometimes there are husbands dwelling in a household, living there, but they really don't live there at all, right? they got two separate lives going on. They're just doing their own thing. They're not dwelling with their wives. They're dwelling in the same house separately, in a sense. This is to be dwelling together. There's, there's, a, there's, there's a union within the situation here, okay? So with that in mind, how and what manner are husbands to be dwelling or living? Now, we're going to see these principles apply to us in every area of our lives, no matter if you're a husband, wife, child, whatever it is. Uh, Verse 7, you husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is 
a woman. First of all, he says, likewise. How am I to dwell? Likewise. Likewise. In the same way we saw in verse 1, you wives be submissive. Same exact Greek word. In the same way as wives are to, to, to rely on the Lord and obey his word, uh, depending on him, in the same way as Christ did, our perfect example, didn't revile and turn, didn't send in utter threats, in the same way husbands are to do the same thing. And the implication is the submission is not to an earthly master, but to your master in heaven, husbands. Dwell, dwell and do this in the same way as Christ. Well, how did Christ do it? Let's take a look back um, at chapter 2, verse 18. First Peter 2, verse 18. Notice he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there when you sin, this is verse 20, and are treated harshly, are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And then here's the example that we are to likewise follow. For you have been called for this purpose, suffering, unjust suffering, obviously for doing what is right. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example or the tracing pattern. We saw that. For you to follow in his steps. Well, what's the pattern we follow? And it happens with wives with their husbands and husbands with their wives. The same pattern. Likewise. He says, um, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit in his mouth. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously that's what christ did he came to do god's will and he entrusted himself to the father and he 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 kept doing that he didn't sin in response and it says here the result and he bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed for you were continually straying like sheep but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls chapter three of so in the same way wives Chapter seven, verse chapter three, verse seven. You husbands, likewise, in the same way, in the same way. You can't do this if you don't know Christ. You can't do this if you are not relying on Him completely. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. We can do nothing. It's in the context of a real relationship with Jesus Christ that we are to be doing these things. We are to be entrusting ourselves. And here we have husbands, husbands likewise, likewise, in the same way are to submit to God and obey him and trust him no matter what it looks like, no matter what the outcome. You know, so often I find husbands uh, shirking their responsibilities in Christ because they are worried about how their wives will respond and they're worried about the temporary realities. Do the right thing, which is the best thing for your wife, and let God take care of the consequences. He is the one who judges righteously. Do the right thing, men, no matter what. Do it, as we'll see, in the right context, too, in a loving context. You don't want to be shrinking back for the fear of man or the fear of woman in that sense. And the same thing also for women with their husbands. Obey the Lord. Don't fear. You don't want to be frightened by any fear. So in the same way, just as Christ entrusted himself by doing what is right, 
you are to trust Jesus and submit your heart with a right, with the right attitude and dwell with your wives, as we will see in a second, according to biblical knowledge. Let's take a look at that now, back in chapter 3, verse 7. You husbands likewise live or dwell with. The term is dwell, and it adds in this little portion to the, in the beginning of it. Dwell with, dwell with your wives. And notice this, in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel since she is a woman. Dwell with, and we have this modified, this is how you dwell with, this is how you live with your wife. This is how I live with my wife, how I'm supposed to. This is how we are to live day in and day out with our wives. He says, first of all, in an understanding way. Now, I think this translation might lead us to maybe misunderstand the intent of Peter. Even the NIV says, be considerate. I think that's possibly uh, leads to maybe misunderstanding the intent here. I think there's been a lot of interpretations that may not really uh, align with the intent of what Peter says here. You could literally translate it this way. Be living with your wife, that's implied, according to gnosis, according to kata gnosis, according to knowledge. That's what it says. Be dwelling according to knowledge, according to knowledge. And when we think of knowledge, what do we think of? You know, knowledge is the possession of information or what is known. It's knowing something, right? Dwell with your wife knowing according to what you know. And we'll see what that means in a second. You know, as I looked at different passages and sermons relating to this and people's opinions, uh, you know, what most people say this relates to is understand your wife's emotional frame. Well, that's what they say. Most of us say that. Learn everything you can about her personality and dwell with her according to that. Now, there's nothing wrong with understanding your wife and knowing her. That's very important. We need to love our wives. But is that what this passage is saying? Is that the knowledge that is being spoken of here? I don't believe the knowledge is anything that we observe ourselves. I believe it's from God. I don't believe we dwell with our wives according to our own understanding, whether it's right or wrong. We are not to lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, we're to acknowledge him our paths are straight. So what is this knowledge? You're saying, well, I thought it was that. Well, let's see what it is. Let's see what this knowledge is in light of God's word that we are to continually dwell with. What is it? What is it? Well, first of all, we know that there is man's wisdom and God's wisdom. There is man's knowledge and God's knowledge. In Christ, Colossians 2 are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it's in God's word alone where we find knowledge that comes from God. Knowledge that comes from God. You see? And we need to watch out that we don't make choices to uh, dwell according to our own understanding or what man says. We need to isolate it to what God says. And I believe the passage will show that in a minute. You see, indeed, Timothy warned, Paul warned Timothy in the last verses of his first letter to him to guard what was entrusted to his care, the word, and to turn away from that which is falsely called knowledge. There are those who believe they have knowledge, and it's human knowledge, but it's false. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, O Timothy, guard what hasn't been entrusted to you. That's the word of God, Timothy. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. 
Grace be with you. Grace be with you. So, first of all, I don't believe the knowledge that we dwell with our wives is, is our knowledge. I don't use my understanding to figure out how to dwell with my wife. I believe it has to come from God's understanding in how we dwell with our wives. And where do I get that? Look at, what it's, look at how this passage is modified. We see here, he says, You husbands, look, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way or, or according to knowledge. And then notice these two phrases. As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. These two phrases modify this according to knowledge. And you could translate them very specifically, dwell with, as to a weaker vessel, and then literally, to the feminine. And I'll explain this in a minute. These phrases, you're to dwell according to understanding, as to, and here's some understanding, the weaker vessel, and here's some understanding, to, as we'll see, the feminine. What do I mean by that? What's translated uh, as with a weaker vessel simply speaks of the differences, physically speaking, between men and women. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this. Our world wants to say this isn't true, but men and women are different. We are different. We are different, physically speaking. And God made it that way for a purpose, as we'll see. And women, and, and, and the term vessel speaks of a container. That's where we get to go, like if you go later on and through the, the way the words bring about, you see that we get our word vase that way, obviously. It's something that holds something. My body is my vessel. Your body is your vessel. And he's saying that women have a weaker vessel. That's simply what he's saying. They're different. Now we're going to see that that doesn't demean a woman at all in a moment. And then secondly, it says, you could literally translate, since she is a woman, this is an interesting word, it's only used here, this means literally to the feminine. This term feminine speaks of, of that which belongs to women. The characteristics that belong to women. The knowledge that we are dwelling with our wives according to, first and foremost, is that she is a woman. And women are different, right? We're going to see that. We're going to see that. Now, our society has so obscured genders these days through its sinfulness, we're unwilling to knowledge, acknowledge what these characteristics are. But the reality is God did make us male and female. He made us in his image, male and female, as we see in Genesis chapter 1. So then, and we're going to expand on this, men, we are to dwell with our wives according to biblical knowledge. And I struggled over this because I want to learn. I want to be a godly husband. I want to know what he's saying. Lord, what are you saying here so that I can obey it? And I hope you're saying the same thing, men. What are you saying here? I want to know exactly what you mean so that I can obey it, Lord God. And I struggled over it. What does this mean in this sense? What does it mean as to the feminine, or as to weaker vessel, to the feminine? What does that mean? Well, as I studied... I think we see very clearly that God reveals in his word that women are different than men. And God has given us biblical knowledge concerning the woman and their role. He has given us that knowledge that we need to dwell according to. Not according to our own understanding, what I think we should do, but what God says in his word. You see, first of all, we see in 1 Corinthians 11, turn there for a second, 1 Corinthians 11. There are truths that the world hates. And if you're in your sin, you hate it too because you don't want to submit. But if you see it rightly, you'll see God's grace and his glory in it. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8. This is biblical knowledge that we live according to, and we need to understand it. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. Pretty simple statement. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. (gasps) Oh, I said it. No, God said it actually. And it's good when we understand what God has truly ordained us to be. You see here? He says here right away, biblical knowledge, woman was created for man. Now that's not going to say, we're going to see in a minute, that does not make her inferior at all. You better not think that because your prayers are going to be blocked because she's a daughter of the king. We are joint heirs, fellow heirs. We better think of this rightly. But God has made differing roles and we need to live according to those, as we will say. You know, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, which Bob read earlier, and I think we're going to see biblical knowledge concerning wives, biblical knowledge concerning women that we need to live according to. I can think of all this other stuff I can say, this is what I need to live according to, but I don't know if that's true or not. I know this is true. I know this is true. And therefore, I need to live according to it. Um, Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Book of Genesis, after God created everything, it is good, it is good, it is good. Chapter 1, an overview of creation. And then after you created man and woman, it's very good. Then chapter 2, we have a picture of what's going on in, 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 in the crown of creation, just the creation of man and woman. And we see in the middle of that, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. Very interesting statement because there's no sin yet. It's not good. That means something is lacking Something is lacking. And from that, we get a good understanding of how men and women function together in the marriage relationship. We need to understand this, men, or we will not be able to obey this. So he says, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. So we have here, essentially, that man is incomplete in this relationship. Now you say, wait a second, I'm single, and I'm, I'm incomplete then. Well, no, that's not true. The reality is God has ordained that some are to be married. That is primarily his plan, we see. But he has those who are single, have a gift of singles. Or he has those who are maybe not married yet, and you don't know, no matter how young or old you are, you still might get married. So we need to understand these truths in this. God's plan and his timing are not our timing. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So here we see, first of all, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable. First of all, we see here that one purpose for marriage is companionship. Live according to knowledge. She's your companion. If you don't live according to knowledge, you're going to dishonor her and God, right? It's not good. You know, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 2, verse 17, speaking of the adulterous woman, she leaves the companion of her youth. In Malachi chapter 2.14, this is, this is speaking of the treachery of Israel leaving the, the, the companion of her covenant. We see in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 19 that the general sense of companionship, not in marriage, but in a general sense. Take a look at that. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 9, or Ephesians, Ecclesiastes right after Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, or Lamentations, verse 9. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9. 
And as you're looking there, primarily the marriage relationship is for companionship. And if you're single and you're lonely, let the Lord be your companion. And also you have more time to have companionship within the body of Christ, not on a marriage level, but on a fellowship level, as we'll see. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is no one to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Just a principle. Companionship. Companionship. Live with them according to knowledge. We are to dwell with the understanding she is our companion. And guess what? We can fail on that, can't we? We can treat them like baggage. We could treat them like an extra. We could treat them horribly, I'm talking about. We should treat them and love them and recognize the first purpose here is she's a companion. Live with them according to knowledge. You shouldn't be living separate lives. You should be sharing everything together. And obviously, you're, you're connected. We'll see. So we see here, it is not good for us to be alone, and God primarily shares that it's for companionship. But there's more knowledge that God gives us back in Genesis. Look back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Not only is she your companion, and we'll see that she is your helper. Verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good to man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Very interesting. Now, as I share this, some women might be becoming uncomfortable. Am I an afterthought? Am I a slave now? Is this what this means? That's not what it means at all. This term helper is a very interesting term, helper. It, it's, it's azer. It means to help. And it is often spoken of the Lord himself. The Lord is our helper. What can man do to us? The Lord is the one who helps. He is my help, my strength and shield. So the primary role of a woman, the woman that we need to understand as men, is she is there to help us. To help us. That means we need help, men. Right? That means we need help. Absolutely. We have deficiencies that our wives help us with. There is, there's, a, there's a union. There's a, there's a bringing together in this context. It speaks of support. And again, as I shared, it often speaks of divine help. Psalm 20, verse 2. May he send you help. That's our word from the sanctuary. May he support you. The idea we see in parallel, support. Help and support. We need to understand that is part of the role of our wives. We need to dwell with them, understanding this is what God has ordained. According to wisdom, we dwell with them. And there are so many passages I could read you concerning God being our helper. Some other time we can look at those. But specifically here, there is no way this is demeaning in any way. Otherwise, you're saying God being a helper is demeaning. It's the role, as we'll see, not the, not, not the person, but the role right now. Men, we need to be aware that God has ordained our spouses to help us. Sometimes we are, and I've been certainly specifically prideful that we don't allow them to support us and help us. That we try to do everything ourselves rather than allowing our wives to be our partners in that sense to support and help us in the context of a right relationship, whereas we saw earlier in chapter, in chapter three. We need to live according to wisdom. And, uh, for you who are single, just because you're not married doesn't mean God might not still use you to help people. Romans chapter 16 speaks of Phoebe. She was a deaconess, but she was a helper of many. A helper of many. 
So first of all, we live according to knowledge. And notice what he says here back in uh, what what, uh, the Lord says in his word, chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper. And notice he says, suitable for him. The term suitable could be translated according to the opposite of him. (laughs) <laughs> you go, that's marriage, right? <laughs> I'm going to give you someone who's completely opposite. And that's not exactly what it's saying, but uh, the reality is, according to the opposite, it speaks of a counterpart. A counterpart. The parts work together, but they're, 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 it's part of you that works together. As we'll see, when you're one flesh, we'll see what that is. And obviously, uh, God took wife out of the man, as we'll see in a minute. It is a divine helper, suitable it's just what you need. You've got to understand that. If you don't understand that, you're going to be in trouble. If you're, if you're dwelling with your wife according to your own wisdom, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, we'll see. Your prayers are blocked. Okay? So again, now why would Adam need help before the fall? Think about that. What does he need help in? Well, we know that God uh, wanted him to subdue and rule over creation. Chapter 1. This uh, This non-laborious, laborious, blessed work of, of the garden, chapter 2, right, tending the garden. And certainly they needed help in taking care of the offspring, as we'll see. So there's certainly those things. So with this in mind, Scripture reveals that wives are a companion and a suitable helper. Are you living according to knowledge, husbands? Let her help you. Now I don't have time to go through the rest of Genesis here, but let me just share how the Lord brings us about. Look in uh, Genesis 2 and uh, verse, verse 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed out of every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, it was his name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds in the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was, no, there was not found a helper suitable for him. The animals didn't do it. They didn't do it. They were not a suitable, corresponding helper. And notice verse 21. God had to knock Adam out of the picture here, by the way. And that's what husbands, you need to do when you're thinking about being married, get out of the picture. Just seek the Lord and let him provide. Uh, Genesis 2.21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took out one of his ribs and closed the flesh, closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned, literally says built, the Lord God built into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Very interesting. He obviously breathed in the breath of life to the woman like he did to the man, and he brought her to the man. And look at Adam's response. And the man said, it literally, if you remember when we went through this, literally, at last, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. All these animals, all this naming, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that. It wasn't the, she wasn't there. At last, she shall be called, then she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then look at verse uh, 24. We have the commentary. For this cause, because woman was taken from man, this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. More biblical knowledge. Cleave to your wife. The Hebrew word cleave means glue, basically. Stick to your wife. Stick to your wife. And there's all different connotations there, and they're all correct. So we see here the reason here. We are to live according to biblical wisdom. You know, Jesus shares this in Matthew 19, that uh, 
what God has joined, let no man separate. He uses the same verse from, uh, from, from, from Genesis. Paul uses this in Ephesians chapter 5. The fact that we are in union together. We are one flesh. We need to dwell according to knowledge. And Paul uses this in Ephesians 5 to reveal thus we are to love our wives because of that, because we are one, as we'll see. And it's just like a picture of Christ the church. Turn to Ephesians 5. So this is knowledge. This is knowledge we need to dwell according with. Because she's part of me, then God says and gives me this knowledge what I'm to do. Ephesians 5:22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. There's biblical knowledge. He himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the so wives ought to be subject to their husbands and everything. More biblical knowledge. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. And he says how? Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for In the same way, we see that Jesus submitted to the Father's will, which was to go to the cross and die for us. In the same way, obey God's word in relationship to those around you and your wife. Love her. Obey God's word. And he says here, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing and water of the word, with the word, that he might present himself to, the, to the, the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Then look at verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their what? Own bodies. You know, we love ourselves. We take care of ourselves. That's just a reality. There's a reality. We, we, we have a, a, a priority of ourselves, right? We see that. As we love our own bodies, he says here, he says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. There's an imparting warmth. There's a feeding. We nourish and cherish. He says, in the same way, just as Christ does the church. And that's a mystery. But we are to do the same thing because we are together in this amazing way that God has ordained this one flesh. I don't understand it totally, but because that's the case, based on the paradigm of Eve coming from Adam, we are to love. We ought to love us. She's part of you. Live according to knowledge. Live according to knowledge. He says here, because we are members of his body, verse 20, for this cause, here's our verse, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So we have this, this mystery with the church, obviously, but it's based on a physical illustration of husbands with their wives. Live according to biblical knowledge. Live according to biblical knowledge. That's what we're to do. She's a companion. She's a helper. She's part of you in God's sight, one flesh. Love her. Love her. Obey the Lord. You husbands, likewise, back in our passage, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with a weaker vessel, since she's a woman. Live according to knowledge. She's a woman. She is different from you. She is different from you. She's actually in a position that God has ordained of submission. You better treat her right, as we'll see. She is physically different than you. We are commanded to live according to knowledge, according to biblical knowledge. Again, God made her a woman, not a man. God designed her specifically with specific roles. We need to understand it 
and live accordingly. We need to live according to wisdom. Now notice there's a second command here. This is really important because we might see, because of the role of a wife, we might lower someone's value down. And if we do so, we're sinning greatly. Look at what he says here back in chapter 3 of 1 Peter, verse 7. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. Now here's our second command. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. This is really important. This is really important. Dwell with, according to biblical knowledge, and there's a lot more biblical knowledge than what I shared. I can't share all of it, right? I shared some highlights of biblical knowledge, right? But then he says, grant her honor. The term grant is, is, a, is a present participle. Be, be continually granting her honor. Be continually granting her honor. The term grant speaks of assigning something. You're assigning something, as we will see, in your mind. And that assigning is honor. In your heart and mind, you are granting her, assigning her honor. The term honor speaks of fixing a value. You're granting her honor. You see, we better not understand God's word in relationship to wives just because their role is different. Uh, we better not think that they are demeaned or inferior in any way. If we, are, if we do, we're in deep trouble. We're in deep trouble. We are to assign our wives continually honor. We're to do that. Now, obviously, we're not perfect. We need to confess when we don't, and we need to then move forward and do it and assign our wives honor. And notice why we are to assign her honor. See this as a fellow heir of the grace of life. The term translated fellow heir is really co-heir or translated joint heir, like in Romans chapter 18. Joint heir, someone who inherits something. We have both together inherited something. We have inherited something. And you are to assign her honor because of what she has inherited. Now, there are some Bible teachers that are pretty good, but I would disagree with them here. They say it's speaking of life in general. That, that the grace of life is life in general. And I would say, I don't think so. Because first of all, we're to honor all men, chapter 2. We know that. This is a special honor. Okay? Every human being we'd certainly honor. Uh, they were all created in God's image, whether they're saved or not. But the word grace is what gets me, and the word joint heir is what gets me also. Everyone is obviously uh, created in God's image in this life. But Peter consistently uses the term grace in the context of salvation. It is God's favor towards us, which we do not deserve, that came in Christ. We are fellow heirs of the grace of life. I believe it's speaking of eternal life. We inherit eternal life. We don't inherit life on this earth. We inherit. The Bible speaks of inheriting salvation, inheriting this. It's eternal life. It's eternal life. In part... Grant her honor. See her as extremely valuable in your heart. In your heart first, and thus in your actions. She is so valuable that Christ shed his blood for her. Don't treat her any less. Don't treat her any less. Extremely valuable in God's sight, and thus in ours. You see, when it comes to salvation, uh, we see personhood rather than position or role. 
There is an equality across the board in salvation. Role means nothing. We see, we see, we see uh, personhood. Excuse me, we see it's a person. Turn to uh, Galatians chapter 3. I don't know if that made sense, but hopefully this verse will. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 27. He says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. The idea of being baptized into Christ is actually when we believed in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God placed us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So he's speaking about believers. And he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs, according to the promise, heirs of eternal life. It doesn't matter whether you're a woman or a man, the the playing field is completely leveled in Christ. We are all sinners in need of salvation. And anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is a joint heir of the grace of life. There may be different roles in marriage, but in terms of position before Christ, we are the same. Or in terms of personhood, we are the same. Grant her honor. Grant her honor. You see, if we don't live according to an understanding way and we don't grant honor, then there are some serious consequences There are some serious consequences. So with this in mind, what are we to do? We are to, first of all, be living in an understanding way, according to biblical knowledge. We need to know the word of God. We need to have it in our hearts as we dwell with our wives. You cannot live with your wife according to biblical knowledge unless God's word is working in your heart on a day-in and day-out basis. Secondly, we need to be granting with an internal heart attitude that assigns her honor. No matter how she is. She may be the worst wife in the world. She may be the best wife in the world. It doesn't matter. If she's come to faith in Christ, we are to grant her that extreme honor, obviously. And certainly, if she's not a believer, we are to honor all men, as we saw back in chapter 2. And that women, obviously. And then notice, if we don't do this, something's wrong. Something's wrong in our relationship with the Lord. You see, because the way we treat our wives reveals where our hearts are at, where we are at with the Lord. Look at verse 7 again at 1 Peter 3. You husbands likewise live with your wives in an understanding way or according to knowledge. As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman, or literally the feminine, she has the characteristics of a woman. She's a woman. And grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. And here you go. So that so that your prayers may not be hindered. The reality is, this word translated hindered means to be blocked, thwarted, impeded, cut. The reality is, if we do not do these things in the context of relying on Christ, like he did to the Father, depending on him and trusting ourselves to him and then doing what is right, our prayers are cut. They're cut. If you don't grant your wife honor in your heart, your prayers are cut. If I don't grant my wife honor in my heart, my prayers are cut. That means my relationship with God is completely severed, not in terms of salvation, but the relationship. I can pray all day long. Sometimes you wonder why God doesn't hear your prayers. Maybe this is it. Psalm 66. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord does not hear. Live in an understanding way. 
confess when you don't and start living again and understanding. Dwell with them. Grant honor as a fellow heir, a daughter of the king, so that your prayers may not be hindered. What a horrible thing. A true believer praying and prayers totally cut. Totally cut. God chooses not to listen because of the sin in your life. What a horrible thing. Severed. And what's the sin here? Not dwelling according to biblical wisdom. Not granting honor honor in the context of relying on Christ. Not a mechanical view. We've had people here that have been very mechanical. They take the mechanical parts. This is in the context of trusting Christ. It is exactly as he entrusted himself to the Father. He obeyed. Husbands, obey. And we need to realize this is convicting. We need to confess where we failed. We need to move on. We need to trust the Lord and do these things. And do these things. No matter what our wives do. No matter what happens around us. We need to do these things. And if we haven't, we need to confess. We need to confess. Some might say, well, you don't know my wife. No excuses. Some might say, well, she's not a very nice person. Now the wives could say the same thing about husbands. No excuses. The reality is if you disobey what God says here, your prayers are blocked. That's just the reality. Now on the contrary, this passage implies that when we do what is right, our prayers are going before the Lord. And we're going to see that. Look a little farther on in verse 8 where we see the summary of all this. The summary of all these things, which we'll look at next week, Lord willing. The summary of all these relationships, marriage and submission and what Christ did. The summary of all them. Look at uh, verse well, verse, uh, verse 8, right after there, that your prayers may not be hindered. To sum up, let all be harmonious. This is, what we're, this is biblical knowledge. Sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted. Humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. Here you go. This is in real life. But giving a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose, that you might inherit a blessing. For let him who means to love life and see good days refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile, and let him turn away from evil and do good. Summing up these relationships, right? Do it in the marriage relationship. Do it in your work relationship. Do it with the government. Do it with any submissive relationship. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And here's why. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. We fail, we make mistakes, but when we trust the Lord and obey him, his ears are attentive to our prayers. His eyes are towards you. When you're not obeying, it's cut. It's cut. Is there any area of disobedience anywhere that needs to be confessed? Any area. Now, specifically for husbands here, these two things. We need to confess and be right with the Lord. You see, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Righteous being that Christ's righteousness is coming out in us as we trust him and obey. The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James chapter 5. No matter what is going on in your marriage, husband or wife, God attends to our prayers when we are obedient and submissive to him and what he said. So then, what are husband's to be. We've seen today that we husbands are to be continually dwelling with, we're to be with our wives. And according to biblical knowledge, specifically in relationship to them being different than us, they are women. 
and what God has revealed concerning women in his word. God made her as a companion, let her fulfill those needs as she trusts the Lord. God made her a helper, a suitable corresponding, let her help through, God help you through her. She is part of your own flesh. Love her as you would love yourself, nourish and cherish. And don't forget, her role does not make her inferior to you at all. In any way, shape, or form, honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life that your prayers would not be cut. Well, men, how are we doing? I, I think it's safe to say that if, if we're not convicted, something's wrong. Because this is what we should be doing. And we need to confess our failures. We need to confess and, and, and obey the Lord as we trust Jesus Christ. Women, how are you doing? We saw your role last week. How are you doing? Are you adorning your heart with Christ-likeness in the context of gentle tranquil submissiveness how we do it you see it's when we behave righteously in christ that the world sees something different and god might open opportunities to bring redemption to those around us who do not know christ and often that might even be our own families have we stumbled our families through our relationships or have we been a light of christ's righteousness before them how we doing let's pray Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. You give us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And Lord, I so want to obey this, and I know that you've only given me that desire. And I I pray for everyone else that we would all want to obey your word desperately and that we would do it likewise, trusting you, relying on you, allowing your word to, to inform our hearts concerning how we are to be in the marriage relationship and also how we are to be in every situation. Please help us to know when we've sinned, to confess, and to do what is right, Lord God, by your power and strength. We pray, Lord God, that you would have your way and your will in our lives, Lord God, that we would submit and thus obey and trust you, that we would be a beautiful reflection of of your gracious love through your Son for us, for the church. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for your son. It's in his day we pray.